0: Danny, that's funny, uh, of course, Matt Powell, if you don't know who he is, he's the uh, lead singer for Third Day, and uh, it's been probably 10 years ago now, but I was speaking at a youth group in East Tennessee, where I'm from, and somebody had had me in, and they they thought I was, and they were like super, super disappointed, that, that, like super let down. I was like, gosh, I guess it was just me. But uh, anyway, it's so good to see you all here. Um, so very much love and appreciate your pastor and just the encouragement he is to other pastors here in this area. Oh, can you not hear me? Can you all hear me now? Is that better? We good? Okay. Is that better now? We good? Okay. Cool. But uh, so appreciate your pastor. And it's so good to, to be here and share this time with each of you. I see several folks in the room that I know and love, and it's a privilege to see all of you. It looks like you all have the look of like sun burn, sun glaze, exhaustion, and like the look that I know everybody has right before preaching, right? <laughs> so anyway, I asked uh, Pastor Danny, I said, so what would you all like tonight? And he said, hey, just to bring, bring a message tonight. So hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. And if you've got your Bible or you can pull it up on your phone if you want to, go to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, and looking down in... John chapter 11, verses uh, 38 through 42. Um, actually, we will reference that, but the really the main thrust of what I want to say is actually in John 12. But the reason I said John 11, 38 through 42 is just a reminder of what took place there. I'm not going to take time to read that to you. I just want you to have it in the back of your mind as what has just taken place. In John chapter 11, verses 38 through 42, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So, this is this huge moment in the Gospel of John where a man literally comes walking out of the grave, and hearts are strengthened, encouraged, people are scared to death, and of course, the religious leaders want to kill him. But then comes this really strange story in John chapter 12. And it's about Jesus, and specifically a woman, and her name is Mary. Pastor Jenny, a few years ago, I did a sermon series on the Gospel of John. I think it took me two and a half years. Uh, it It was a long one. I've never done anything like that before. I think this section of John became my absolute favorite. And it was the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. So I want to talk to you tonight briefly about finding our place at the table. We're all sitting at tables tonight. You all have just shared dinner together. And I want us to think about the characters that are going to be in this story. I mean, y'all are here on mission day. I'm assuming you probably know. Who Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and certainly Jesus are. You've probably heard of Judas and the other disciples. Those are the characters in our story. But what I want us to do is try to place ourselves in this story and pretend like we were there. Because the people who were there, it astonished them. It astonished them what took place. So, beginning in John chapter 12, And verse number one, it says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's say a prayer together. Heavenly Father, will you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word? Lord, help us to have a heart like Mary. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, let's just talk about a few things here to set the scene. First, I want to talk to you about this. Is If I could put a main point on this, it would be this. Americans, we as Americans particularly here in South Hilla, Tupelo area, we get Martha. We misunderstand Mary, and we typically never assume that we might be Judas. These are the people who are at this table who are a part of this gathering and the main characters mentioned in this story apart from Jesus. We get Martha, especially as Southerners. We misunderstand Mary, and we never assume that we might be Judas. So let's set the scene. First of all, both Mary and Martha are loyal followers and friends of Jesus. Both Mary and Martha were loyal followers and friends of Jesus. They're talked about in John. They're talked about in Luke. Jesus calls them his friends, and we'll look at that here in just a second. But this is not here in this story a question of loyalty. Jesus is amongst his friends. Also, both Mary and Martha believe the same things about Jesus, and he loves them both. Now keep in mind we're on this side, the other side of the cross. They don't know yet the kind of Savior he's going to be, but they believe that he is the Messiah. They just don't know what that looks like yet. None of the disciples had that figured. However, they believed in Jesus as much as they could understand, and Jesus also loved them. John chapter 11, verse five says this, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So here's what it is. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now it's interesting, the scripture never mentions parents from Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now, they would have lived together. Now, because Martha is mentioned first, she would have likely been the eldest and in charge of the family, so to speak. And because there's no parents mentioned, Martha's kind of like the matriarch of this little family unit. Also, we know because of where they were and because of what Mary's about to do, these people, had some financial means that likely these are people. They were in Judea. They had some financial means because they're going about to break open a pound of nard, and I'll explain that in just a minute. But the important thing is not what kind of life they lived or who they were. The important thing we see here is Jesus loved them, and he cared for them. So here we are in the scene. This scripture says when they had gathered for dinner that Martha served. Now you probably uh, have know the story about Martha serving and we'll get to that in just a minute. But what would dinner have looked like in ancient times? Dinner would have looked like this. If we, wouldn't, if we were there, we wouldn't be sitting at tables and chairs. There would have been a table, but it would have been really low to the ground. And the men... Would sit around the table and they would lean in kind of like this. All right, I'm going to demonstrate. Imagine me laying on the floor and having my hand like this. All right, I'll, I'll demonstrate it a little better. Okay, I'm down here like this and I'm using my right hand to eat and my feet are stretched out away from the table. Y'all got it now? Imagine that 12 men are around the table, and the way that they laid at the table was one next to the other. In fact, when you read about the Last Supper, and it says that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaned up against the breast of Jesus, it's like, well, that sounds weird. How do you do that at dinner? Like if I were sitting by Pastor Danny, and I just kind of leaned my head over, you'd be like, man, weirdo, go back to Tupelo. But um, no. What it would be is if we were laying side by side by side by side, John is just leaning back into Jesus because that's how they ate dinner. They were just there at the table. Now, what would happen typically during dinner is the, the men would have been around the table. Now, the table wouldn't have been round; It would have been a U-shape, okay? Jewish tables were U-shapes, so that way the people who were serving could walk in the middle of the U, serve the food at the table, and then the people at the table sat only around the outside, and then their feet were extended away from the table so that while they ate, the servants could come by and wash their feet. So that's normal behavior. But something extraordinary happens here. First of all, we see Martha. What does she do? She serves. Martha and her offering in this moment of serving appears measured and practical. I mean, Jesus is in the house, y'all. She is serving, that has to be a good thing. And Martha is known for serving, all right? In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, I know most of you know this story. It says, now they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So in that setting, Martha's serving. Jesus is sitting at the table. His feet are faced away from the table. And the servants would have come by and washed his feet. And in that culture at the time, women did not recline at the table. Why? It would have been awkward with the way they sat at the table. They really laid at the table. The women would sit at the feet of the men. And Mary wasn't serving. She was there listening to Jesus. So here we see in this story: here's Martha. She's there, she's serving, she's doing her thing, she's known for it. But something happens. We all understand Mary's heart, or excuse me, Martha's heart for serving. We all get that. Jesus is in the house. Work needs to be done. Get after it, serve, do it, good. She is not criticized in John 12 for serving the disciples. But something happens. Mary. According to John 12, in verse number 3, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Now, let's talk about this for just a second. What in the world is nard? Well, in the ancient world, it came from one place. The ancient nation, which now is occupied by the modern nation, Nepal. Now, do do you know anything about world geography? Nepal is on the eastern side, like the Chinese side of India. It is way, way, way far away from Israel where this story is taking place. In fact, it would take you hours in an airplane today to fly from Israel to get to Nepal. Imagine in the ancient world how long it would have taken to get to Nepal and to get that nard that can only be found there all the way back to the Middle East. Now, another thing, the way nard and perfume worked, it's not like modern perfume bottles that we have where you go like spray them and spruce yourself up. No, it would have been in a sealed clay jar so that once it's opened, it's spent. And typically people used nard to anoint the dead when they died. Or perhaps on a very special occasion, such as a wedding or something like that. But most typically, it was just an asset. It was just an expensive thing to have. And most biblical commentators believe that Mary would have had this as her dowry. Now, what in the world is a dowry? The dowry is the financial blessing that Mary would have to offer a future husband. Like, for instance, regardless of what Martha is like, I don't know if Martha's got nard, but Mary has got nard, all right? And now let me put it in modern financial terms. I did the equivalent on the average income here in Lee County. A bottle of nard in Lee County today, according to ancient standards, would be about $65,000. Think about that. $65,000. Sixty-five thousand dollars. Now, I want—I want you just to imagine here for a second having a sixty-five thousand-dollar bottle of anything, but having a sixty-five thousand-dollar bottle of perfume and ointment. Could you imagine what you would treat something like that like? My house is a crazy place. God granted us six children. My son passed away, so we have five in our house. And there is always noise, destruction, and chaos. And we cannot have anything nice. Because no matter what we buy, it's torn up within the week. Why? Because my kids are crazy. But I can guarantee you, if we had a $65,000 bottle of nard in my house, it would be in my gun safe. It might even warrant me buying and renting a safety deposit box to keep something like that so precious that once you open this thing, it's done, like it's spent. To have an asset that precious, I would guard that thing at all cost. So I want you to imagine, here's our scene. Martha's in the kitchen, she's cleaning up, and getting the food picked up. Lazarus is sitting at the table Everybody's focused on Jesus because He's talking. And then all of a sudden, what just happened? This perfume, this smell, this sweetness filling the room. Mary's offering even to us at the surface seems like inappropriate nonsense. Now, how many of you guys here bought your wife a $65,000 wedding ring? Or how many of you ladies bought your husband a $65,000 wedding band? Not many of us. Maybe not any of us, probably. The moment, I wonder what was going through their minds. I wonder what Martha was thinking. She's in the kitchen, she's doing her thing, and all of a sudden she's washing dishes and she's like, oh my gosh, my little sister did not just, I will never get rid of this kid out of my house. No man is going to marry her now. She has just spent the dowry on dinner. What is going on? She probably would have been ticked. Then there's Lazarus. Man. I was like dead a few weeks ago and she didn't pour it on me. But here she is pouring it on this guy at dinner. And then you've got Judas that is like, hey, we could have like sold that and like fed a small country somewhere. Why is it? that this was not sold and given to the poor. Now we're told that Judas really didn't want to feed the poor, he just wanted to help himself to the money. But here's what I want to leave you with, these last two things. The value in Mary's offering was not found in that bottle, but on the feet of which she poured it. Do you see what Mary's doing? This bottle secured her future. This was a guarantee that she could find a husband. Because in ancient times, they didn't marry for love. They married for well-being and financial arrangement. Now, I'm not saying love was never involved. But it was about getting your house together and being able to support and provide. And Mary has literally just taken her future and poured it on some dude's feet. She has literally given the most precious thing she has. Now, we see that and we're like, yeah, but it's Jesus. I would be willing to bet, though, if you and I were there and somebody dumps $65,000 on a single meal, we would struggle to be like, ah, I think I could like, maybe think of a little bit better use for that money. Maybe uh... it, what Mary does looks like meaningless nonsense to those who are there, to all except two people, Mary and Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what Mary was doing, and Mary knew exactly what she was doing. She was taking all that she had of herself and pouring it on all that she knew of Jesus. In closing, it's possible to believe the gospel and not apply it. We know that. It's possible that we all do this. We know the truth. It has set us free, but we don't apply it day by day, and sometimes we miss it. But it's also possible to see and know the gospel and see it happen right in front of you and miss it altogether. And this is where Judas was. Mary's surrender exposed his selfishness. Mary's outpouring and saying, Lord, I'm trusting you for everything showed that Judas was trusting for Jesus, trusting in Jesus for pretty much nothing. And when we look at this story, the moral of the story is not, now go home and get the most expensive thing that you have and then pour it on the altar on church, at church this Sunday. That's not the moral of the story. The point of this story is to show us how Jesus has Mary's heart and how her actions demonstrate who Christ is to her. If we were there, it would probably look like nonsense to us. But we would also say, gosh, she sure must love this guy. She sure must believe in this guy. She's literally giving everything of herself to him. There must be something to this Jesus. Y'all have worked all week long. Y'all have worked hard. There's a thousand other things that you could have done today. But you were here giving. You were there giving, working, sweating. And it is not lost on this community that you're doing things that you don't have to do. And the rest of us may look at it and go, well, I don't really can't really make sense of why that would happen in the moment. But it forces us to ask a question. Why are y'all doing this? And for you, it's the same answer as Mary because of who Jesus is to you. That does not escape our Lord. And when we see this story, Everywhere the gospel goes, we hear about this woman who literally gave everything for Jesus to have an anointing at one dinner, because that's just how much he meant to her. I look at that and I think of my life and go, Matt, would you dump $65,000 on the feet of Jesus? I don't know. I want to believe that I would. But maybe I'd be tempted to be like, what What about put it in in installments, right? (laughs) A little bit over time, right? Try to be a little more reasonable about it. Something like that. That's not where Mary's heart is. I'll close with this thought. It goes back to the very first story once you get out of the Garden of Eden. Abel brings his absolute best to God, and God accepts it. Cain brings something, just not his best. And we often think about what was really going on there. When you give your best, it's not just because you believe that God is worthy of your best. You're believing that God is able to provide all that you need. And it's a demonstration of your faith and trust in Him. When you hold back your best what you are, in effect, saying, Lord, if I trust you with my best, I'm just not so sure I'm going to come out as good in the end as I would, if rather if I didn't do this in another way. It's all about trusting God, the provider, and who he is. And this story of Mary shows us first and foremost what a position of surrender looks like.